0: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows and it makes the algorithm God's happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there on the website. You'll see, you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. OK, friends, today we've got an amazing artist here out of L.A., although he harkens from New York, born and raised, graduate of the high school of art and design there in New York and came out to L.A. to chase his dreams as an artist, as an animator. Kano and I have known each other for many years, I guess, through our friend Marka27, who's going to be on the show soon. So look out for that. But Kano used to show at uh, Crew West Gallery here in L.A. years ago. But then Kano and I have worked on some projects, corporate commercial projects over the years. One in particular was the promotion for Disney ABC Network for the show The Mayor, which was on for like, I think, one year and then it got canceled. <laughs> but it wasn't our fault. Anyway, Kano is one talented dude, born and raised in New York, graduate of the High School of Art and Design there in New York, got his BFA in animation from the School of Visual Arts, came out to LA, has really carved out a career in animation, but in toy design as well. His collectible toys are coveted in the collectible toy art world. And he is just one, not just one talented, smart dude, but he's a humble guy, thoughtful, considered family man, married with kids. He's got that maturity and one of the hardest working dudes in show business. I mean, no doubt about it. And he's doubling down on his art career right now, going full-time. Although over the years, of course, he's spent a lot of time designing and working and creating characters for studios like Warner Brothers, Cartoon Network, and and Hasbro, for example. So one talented guy, we get into it today, talk about a lot of things that he's into right now, including NFTs. So stay tuned for that. And without further ado, let's get into this with the one and only Kano. The one and only Kano in the house. Hey, brother.
1: Hey, what's up, man? How's it going?
0: Man, it's good to see you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's been a minute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, time flies these days. So, you know, it's kind of crazy.
0: Well, you know, when you're firing on all cylinders, as you do, that's what happens because, you know, you're not just an artist in demand with both full-time clients, freelance gigs, as well as other kind of more commercial gigs. But you're a dad with kids so <laughs> and a husband right. and everything
1: else. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Full grown up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How do you juggle, man? I mean, you know, I'm a lot older than you, but like you, you know, I got two kids. They're young, they're nine and five, and obviously entrepreneur, getting things going. I mean, it's hard to juggle for me, man. I mean, it's like, I don't get a lot of sleep. Like, how do you do it?
1: I think I have kind of like a little bit of an advantage in that it used to be harder, but my kids are older now. So they're pretty much self-reliant. If me and my wife want to go on a date, we don't have to get a babysitter. They just stay home and hang out and watch movies, which is great because I hate owing other parents' favors. really <laughs> <at home, so. laughs> right. right. So, yeah, it's just a matter of throughout the years, I've learned that I have certain chunks of time in my schedule. And when I do have that time, I have to really maximize it and come into my studio with a plan, what I want to get done during the day. And, you know, I'm not going to front, like it's always productive. There's some weeks where I just can't get things done. And it's just, they feel like throwaway weeks. But I have to realize that at the end of the year, I'm allowed that. I mean, I can't force it if things aren't working. Yeah, But yeah, it's just time management. And that's a thing that is always a work in progress, right? Especially as like, I used to work a lot in studios. And now, like for the last couple of years, I'm doing this full time. So it's always a time management thing. Sometimes my schedule is full and I feel like I got it locked down. And sometimes that schedule is not so full and it goes off the rails. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I have to reel it back (laughs) in. So yeah.
0: Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it is one of those things that hopefully we get better at with time, you know, trial and error and all that stuff. But I mean, one of the things I've always appreciated about you as an artist is is a true professional is that you've always been from my point of view, very disciplined and work very hard to manage your time and to deliver and to keep to the deadline or to keep your commitments and so on and so forth. Then, obviously, yeah. that's a maturing process. that's a growing up process, all that stuff. But I mean, you had the opportunity, as I understand it, like back in the day, I mean, you went to an arts high school, right? Correct. Yeah. So like, to what extent did going to an arts high school put you on a path or teach you some of those disciplines of time management and professionalism?
1: Well, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I did go to our high school, which was a great school. And even to this day, I help critique their curriculum. And so I'm, I'm involved to this day. But unfortunately, no matter how nice a school you go to, when you're a teenager, you're a teenager. So you want <laughs> right, to do teenage right. stuff, you know? That's it. Yeah. So like a lot of times, it's hard to talk to a teenager and tell them, hey, you have it pretty good and you have to take advantage of this because not everyone here is going to go to college for this, right? Right. But that's hard. Every teenager thinks they're going to be a superstar. So it's hard to kind of like get them to apply logic and take advantage of their situations. But for me, I think it helped to be at an early age. I was always around friends that did art and I was always around friends who treated it as a business. Back then, in the early 90s, everyone had a hustle, whether you were designing flyers for parties, or you were customizing jackets, or just customizing clothing, like a bootleg mm-hmm. Bart Simpson on a denim jacket, all those things. Mm-hmm. So in an art high school, people are really good at It's not like the one good guy at your school. There's like a bunch of good people, and you know, oh, that guy does the best superheroes, and this and that. So you understood that this could be a career and should be treated as a business. You also understood the idea of completing a job, negotiating a rate, completing a job, and then tracking down your money. Cause you know, when you're a teenager, (laughs) the person who owes you money, you have to go look for them. So that's a thing that carries over into being a freelancer. But also when your plate is full and you get a client or someone who wants you to do something for them, if your plate is full, I learned in high school that you hand that job off to a friend of yours that can do it or that needs it. And it's kind of like reciprocal, you know, you might get work also because you're recommended by somebody else. And that also carries on to like the professional side of things. And then at a very micro level of being an artist, I learned that this is a journey and this is a learning process. You don't come in here as Babe Ruth or Michael Jordan, you're learning and you're trying to learn good habits from other artists and you're learning at every 10. So in high school at that age, when you go to an art high school, it splits down the middle, right? You start as a freshman and you quickly see artists that are seniors and they're really good. And that decides whether you are going to be a person who is inspired by that art or a person who is intimidated by that art and maybe shuts out and kind of quits. So you're either motivated or you're kind of like, I don't know the word, but you know.
0: It's a reality check, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a reality check. So it's like where if you're going to become an artist, this is the number one line that you cross. Were you motivated by that? Then you're the type. And if you're not, then maybe you don't go on to the next level.
0: Right. Yeah, man. I mean, that's a really key point. I mean, when you see what's possible or you see where your peers are at or, or the people who are ahead of you, you know, and and sort of where they're at. And you say, oh, shit, you know, OK, I got to work hard. I got to double down. And, you know, it's like that famous story. when You mentioned Michael Jordan. I mean, that famous story about how Mike, whether it was true or not, I love it. But this idea that Mike apparently showed up at the game before game hours and was just doing drills, you know, doing yeah. drills before the game. The one guy that you would think, oh, you know, he doesn't have to practice. He doesn't have to do drills, you know, the greatest of all time, yeah. the GOAT. But no, I mean, he was working his ass off all the time, which is why he was the GOAT. And that's yeah. what it takes. I mean, this illusion, this mystery or this dream that somehow you're just going to be great out of the gate. I mean, it's a fantasy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, they always say, right, it's what you do when the cameras aren't on. Right. When nobody's looking, the stuff that you're working on, that's what matters mm-hmm. at the end. That's what mm-hmm. makes it at the end of the day. Yeah.
0: Well, but I mean, we're sort of referencing what we'll call, I don't know, the skill side of things. I mean, you know, like the mm-hmm. technique and the tools, like the art making skills, the art making tools and techniques to make art, whatever that art happens to be. But now yeah. artists over the last 20, 30 years, certainly 20 years, because of technology, democratizing the the tools of business artists can now be business people and own their own business and they don't have to worry about getting a gallery. They can go straight to the streets, you know, via the web or whatever the case might be. And Mm -hmm. so the tools of business have been democratized in a way. And so artists truly have the opportunity to sort of create their own fate and run their own business and make their own money. And it's interesting because, I mean, some artists rise to that occasion as well. And some artists don't for whatever reason, you know, 90% of businesses fail, period. Anyway, business is hard. I get it. But I mean, you have done a fantastic job. See, you know, from what I could tell, you're not just disciplined on the art making side, you're disciplined on the business side. I mean, you really have embraced technology and the kind of best practices of business and what have you to build your brand and build your business, build your collector base, sell your toys, sell your work. I mean, talk about that a little bit. I mean, well, first of all, what is your approach around handling your business? I'm sure you're going to maybe reference that time management discipline thing again. Also, like, why do you think some artists may sort of like raise their hands and go like, "Ah, man, I don't, I don't want to be bothered.
1: I think that at the core of this brand thing and knowing your worth, I think at the core of it, there's narcissism and there's ego. And I think. That's what you need to kind of sell yourself as an artist and as a product, as a brand to other corporations or clients, right? You need to believe Mm -hmm. your own hype, right? And that is a thing that to a lot of artists is very counterintuitive. A lot of artists want to sit in the studio and think what I create here will be worth something on its own merit. And sometimes when what we do, when we have to convince a client that, hey, I'm the guy for this job. You have to present yourself on all these social media platforms as that, as you what you want to be known for, what, how you want to be seen, your cachet, your level of professionalism, and that you should be getting this amount of money for certain things. There's a little bit of narcissism there that you have to have, that you have to believe in the product in order to sell the product, right? Sure, That's why sure. a lot of artists, I feel like sometimes it's more in their wheelhouse to paint for a gallery and let the gallery decide. They're worth somebody else is handling the business, and that's yeah. fine too. You know, that's just. Right. But I think that's right. what makes it so that an artist is like, I don't want to be the, you know, because to do what I do, you have to be your own promoter. You have to be your own all this. You got to run your Twitter, yeah. all all the stuff. You know how it, yeah. how it is. So a lot of artists are like, I want to create the art, and somebody else make all that, and that's fine too. Right. I think that's why certain artists it's hard for them to handle the business side of it too. For me. I feel like I kind of have a grasp on what I'm doing because it's from a lot of trial and error. It's from like situations that I've been in where I feel like, oh, I was kind of like taking advantage there. Maybe here I could have gotten more. And for the most part of it, I always look at it as like a learning experience. That's fine. I didn't go to business school. I'm learning business through my art. So that's fine. I never like petty or bitter about it. It's just like, okay, well, next time I'll know I could get this much more. I'll know to like have this and that. And then like, it also helps having friends that are doing all this stuff too. Cause if I get presented with an opportunity, I could always reach out to one of my friends who's like doing stuff and they'll be like, "Mm, you don't want to do that. Maybe stay away from that. So in terms of like a job coming up and I've never heard about this client, I can reach out and the art community is pretty tight. So, you know, somebody shady, everyone's going to know it, you know?
0: That's a great point you're making. I mean, it's just the basic idea of talking to your friends and colleagues about something. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. got a problem, you're probably not alone. I mean, you know, like you're probably not the first person to ever have that fucking problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like ask around, talk, you know, and, and just get some advice.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like for the most part, you know, working as a professional artist or artist is it's a kind of a lonely thing, right? I mean, you're in your studio, you're doing your thing and it's it's maybe easy to cocoon and think, you know, it's like, oh shit, I don't know how to handle this or whatever. You feel like you're alone, maybe, but you're not. I mean, if you can reach out yeah. to someone else and just simply ask the question, that's great to have that kind of mentors.
1: It's better to reach out to an individual or a friend that's in the industry instead of just like sometimes I'll see people post things on Twitter or Instagram, like, what do you guys think of this this client? I'm like, that's like a private <laughs> combo, dude. You shouldn't <laughs> be putting that out there, you know? Right, that's right, like, right, right. You know, if you really want to know, yeah. You ask on the phone or yeah, yeah. grab some beers or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, but you might want to have some street smarts about it too. A little common sense,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, hard for yeah. younger people these days, you know, they share yeah. everything. So it's, it's hard for them to not go that route.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what are you working on these days, brother? I mean, you know, based on, you know, we've known each other a few years now. I mean, based on what I could guess, I'm guessing you've got some dope toys in development. You've got, Who knows what's going on with you? So what's keeping you busy?
1: So right now, I'm getting ready. I'm painting for a show that I have in Virginia next month at Art Wino Gallery in Virginia. So yeah, they're in Virginia. The Art Wino Gallery is a gallery that I used to always do live painting with at New York Comic Con. But Uh they opened up this really nice lounge art gallery spot in Virginia. So I'm going to be doing that. I'm working on that show right now. I have a Bumblebee toy with Hasbro and Unruly Industries that's coming out later this year. Actually, it's already out for pre-orders, but it'll ship later this year. And then I have a toy collaboration with this artist, Quix, that will be releasing at Five Points Festival in June, at the end of June. So I will be in New York for that. And then I'm learning a lot about the crypto space and the NFT world and I'm not announcing any drops yet, but I'm kind of hoping to have something this year for that universe or whatever, something that I could jump into. So just learning that and um, have a lot of friends that are in there that are educating me on it. I'm trying to do it within my grasp because everyone who teaches me about who t- starts talking about it, it gets very huge in landscape, you know, and I need to reel in. How do yes. I use it? you know? <laughs> yes, so yeah, right. that's where I'm at with it just learning the lingos and just being a fly on the wall on all the Twitter spaces and stuff like that. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm doing this full time right now. Did some animation freelance in this a uh, couple of months ago, but it's like mm-hmm. here and there, it's just a little bit trying to really keep my schedule open so that I could get more stuff done here. Yeah.
0: Well, that's big news. Cause I mean, for at least seems like, few years ago you were doing a lot of animation, you were freelancing a lot, or maybe you were even full time a couple studios, I don't know. But the fact that you're now full time on the Kano brand and, and doing the Kano yeah. stuff in your studio, I mean, that's awesome, brother. Congratulations.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks. You know, it's a roller coaster. There's a there's really big, <laughs> right, exactly. it's a roller coaster, bro. There's some months where I'm like a couple of months. For example, like twenty twenty one was really good to me. And then mm-hmm. My last thing I did for a client was in November and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take December off. And that Uh was a bad move because it (laughs) didn't pick up. Things didn't pick up again till like end of February. And I was like, yeesh, maybe I shouldn't have took that month off. So like, you know, things like that. It's always something you go from having a lot of momentum to like, then it's quiet. It's like, oh.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, that shit might've happened even if you decided to keep working in December, you know I mean? Like, who knows, right? Like you could have been like, oh yeah, I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to keep it rolling. And then the winds die down and it's like, you're stuck in the doldrums, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just never know, man. You just never know. Well, the NFT fucking crypto thing, man. I mean, it's like, I'd love to talk to you about that because, you know, it's been a fascinating thing to watch and I'm probably not as well informed about it at this point as you are. So I'd love to pick your brain about it because from what I see in my whole thing, because it was like, it felt like during the pandemic when clubhouse launched, it was like every artist, every chat room was talking about NFTs, NFTs, NFTs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I'm like a fly on the wall and I'm just listening. And my whole thing was, well, Of course, artists are excited about it because it is another opportunity to get their art out, to hopefully monetize their work, and by the way, make royalties on their work into perpetuity, which is a game changer. It's fucking amazing, that promise, that potential, right? So it wasn't surprising to me that artists were getting excited about it however with any new thing it was like a goal rush it was like everybody was rushing it. it's like oh this is like a silver bullet like this is a sure thing It's you know it's like well i've been around a block enough to know that no that, there's no sure thing <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's like it's like it's the wild west like let's just see what's right. happening you know and the goal rush i mean there were a lot of rich motherfuckers that got rich selling shovels versus trying to like go find yeah. the gold you know what i mean so it was interesting yeah, yeah. to see people setting up going like, oh, OK, no, I'm going to sell the shovels. I'm not going to try to. So anyway, so that was fascinating to watch. And then the other thing I noticed, of course, was that because it was basically art in the digital space, of course, NFTs were going to favor digital artists and or artists that actually already had a following. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. in my view, the fundamental issue with art sales or selling art to making money in the arts is that supply outstrips demand. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, there's way more art than people out there, unfortunately, buying it. And so in the crypto space, I mean, as I understand it, only less than 1% of the world's population even have a crypto wallet, let alone be in the business of selling NFTs and collecting NFTs, so on and so forth. But of course- I'm an old dude. I mean, it was so interesting to like see that it was like a young person's game. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. all these young kids coming in. And I mean, I was at Decon, as you know, you were there too last November. And I went to our boy Mark Bricky's panel on the NFT crypto thing. And it was Mm -hmm. fascinating because like I go to check him out and it was and I had gone to a few of his panels and it was the one panel that was packed. I mean, like there wasn't an empty seat in the house. I mean, you know, maybe two, three hundred people showed up. Right. And yeah. I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, like clearly everybody's like, it's a hot topic. Everybody wants to hear about it. But like I looked yeah. around and I realized, oh shit, like I'm one of the oldest dudes here. You know what I mean? It seemed like a crowd of say 18 to 30 year olds and I'm 51. So it was interesting. And then Mark asked, you know, I'll never forget. He said, who here owns an NFT? And virtually every hand, like all 300 people, whatever it was, like virtually every hand yeah. went up. And then he said, who of you has bought an NFT and then sold it for a profit. And then basically every hand went up too. You know, so it was yeah. like fascinating because I was like, oh shit. A this thing is is happening, whether I understand it or not. And clearly yeah. it's a young person's game too, which is very exciting. But I figured like over time, you know, like with anything, it'll settle down and it'll mature and it'll regulate a little bit and won't be so crazy. So I I guess like you have kind of just been taking like a wait and see kind of approach. Not that I'm an artist that's going to launch an NFT, but for our company, you know, for Not Real Art and for everything we're doing, it's like, well, okay, how are we going to show up in this conversation? Like, what might we do? And so I've just been trying to learn and everything. And so anything that's going to put money in artists' pockets, man, I mean, you know, I'm all about it. But it's like, I wonder if the hype is real. I mean, are artists really making the money that the hype might Want you to believe?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I kind of knew about NFTs really early, and then I kind of just put my head down, kept working, and before I knew it, everybody was dropping NFTs, and kind of it was just a wave, right? And then I forgot the artist name at Art basil he sold for like millions or whatever, um Bebo or whatever. I forgot his name. Be Bebo anyway. Bebo. Yeah, was yeah, Bebo. Right, 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 yeah, right, right, yeah. right, right. Gotcha. Once he did it, that opened the floodgates. It got everyone's attention. Even though he was like the David Cho Facebook deal, right? Everybody wants. So what I've learned from it, and again, I'm talking from a person who has not released an NFT and is gathering information and just absorbing what can apply to me. I know friends who are making really decent money from it, but they have also told me, one particular friend told me that the nft thing is not just about making money it's about building a community and the reason why that's important is because the fan base and the community of nft are so loyal they follow you everywhere so it's essentially you creating a new fan base of nft collectors which are people who are haven't always been into art but because this is like a fun new game and their investments now they are and if you present these NFTs of yours with some sort of utility factor, then that's a big draw in for them too. They become part of your world and like they get access to your world, whether it's through print drops, exclusive toy drops, or Tristan Eaton just had a party with Shepard Fairey. And like, I went to that party and there were people there who flew in for that. People there who would not never necessarily have access to a party like that, not because they're an NFT owner, they get access to a part. So it's, it's almost like a cool ticket to have.
0: Right, right, right. A pass, a key. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that makes it so that when you resell it, you're selling that access almost to somebody else. That's what.
0: Interesting. Oh,
1: right, right. Yeah. So it's like in actuality, sure you can go out as an artist and sell your NFT and somebody could buy it. And then that's the end of the deal. But the way you want to keep it working is that you want to keep feeding this thing. Because if the new fan base that you have just grown within the crypto community rocks with you, then they'll support other stuff that you have going on also. Mm-hmm. And then the two platforms that are huge in it is Twitter and Discord, right? Mm-hmm. So the Discord thing is like a lot of maintenance. That's like a full-time job in itself. And mm-hmm. these are like, if you're going to roll out like a project, NFT project, and you're really going to do it, it's a big task. You know, it's not just, oh, upload it JPEG and it's done. You can do that. But the ones that are successful are the ones that have a lot of stuff attached to it. That's what I've learned.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head, too, because like that was like one of the things that concerns me. And it's like with anything, it's like, oh, yeah, sure, you could do it. But if you're going to do it right, it's a commitment. You get back to time management. It's like, OK, well. Shit, man. I mean, you're, you you got to make the art, right? You got to make the donuts, mm-hmm. right? On one hand, right, and then you've already got a business to run in addition to being a husband yeah. and a father and everything else, and so then you're going to start this building this community to do it right. It's going to be a. You even said it, maybe a full time job or something. So it's. It's a tricky yeah. balance. And I mean, you mentioned Tristan and Shepard. I mean, you know, those guys, God bless them. I mean, you know, like they, they're at a level, right, where they have a team that can help them and da 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 You kind of like- need
1: a team, even if you're not on their level. When I said it's a full-time job, I meant only the Discord is a full-time job. You have the full-time job of designing it. Someone yeah. else has a full-time job of being on Twitter, promoting it all the time. You need a team, whether you're successful like Tristan and Shepard. Or not. Or you're just rolling out. You do need a team. The artist is like only one part of it. And especially considering that some of these NFT projects, it's more about the utility and not the art. I mean, for me, it would be about the art because I'm an artist, right? But for the consumer, it's not really about the art. Right, 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 right. That's not really what they're buying.
0: Well, I read something interesting the other day, which I totally agreed with and tell me what you think but it's like i think the word nft gets confused with the word art because really there is no such thing as nft art nft is a token is a certificate of authenticity it's a proof of purchase right the art is something else it's like oh you make the art and maybe you're designing the art for the digital space or the digital medium or whatever okay cool But really, the NFT part is that sort of bill of sale that says, no, 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 I own this. This is a certificate of authenticity. It's a token. And that's what gives you access to that community or that event or whatever. So it's like it's kind of two separate things. So to your point, it's like it gets back to the team. It's like, oh, yeah, the art has to get made. But that doesn't necessarily deal with the whole NFT part, which is a bigger deal. Right.
1: Yeah. It's like an album cover. Right. it gives you access to oh, the music oh that's a great inside. analogy
0: that's a yeah
1: right? it's the same thing so as a music collector or a record collector the art on the album becomes important like if the music's good the album art it creates more value mm-hmm. but if it's mm-hmm. the cool album cover like how many times have you bought a crappy album with cool album cover like nobody cares yeah. about those yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah, shit! I bought all this. I bought this whole album for one song. Shit,
1: (laughs) yeah, 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 that's that's a lot. Yep.
0: Yeah, no, but it's it's. I mean, listen, man. I mean, it's all super exciting, and I mean, I remember reading about the blockchain back in two thousand five or whatever, and you know, it's like the underlying technologies that are that are powering this possibility is. Amazing and, and you know completely revolutionary and I don't think that's going anywhere. I mean, the value of a currency of a cryptocurrency might go up and down. Okay, fine, that's just the way it goes. But the underlying technologies of the blockchain and so on and so forth, I don't see that going anywhere. I mean, I think things will ebb and flow and you know whatever and yeah. you know in terms of the NFT space or the crypto space or whatever. But yeah, I mean this this is not going anywhere. And you know it's funny because I was talking to somebody in business the other day who I really trust and. They were saying, I mean, business like at a very high level. And so if you're a CEO of a big fucking company or a CFO of a big fucking company, you probably engage companies like Ernst & Young, which is like a big global like accounting firm. Super powerful, super huge. McKinsey, McKinsey Consulting, big, super powerful Group, uh, Boston Consulting. I mean, these companies—they're dealing at the highest levels, not just in business, but in government and everything. Right? There's some people, some cynics would say they rule the world, but that's a whole nother podcast. The point is, is that I was talking to this person in business the other day, and it's like you know, the shit is real when these companies get behind it. And from what this person was telling me, that Ernst and Young, Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey and Company—they're all now actually formalizing their crypto metaverse what they call practice because companies are coming to them saying hey what do we do you know how do we get into this and you know and they count on yeah. these companies that have a, an educated well-informed strategic educated a point of view and so if they don't take it seriously it's probably not ever going to have a real future. But the point is, is they are taking it very seriously, you know? And so yeah. this isn't a fad, I guess is my point. I mean, it's here to stay, right. but you just kind of got to be safe and be smart. And what I appreciate what you're saying is like, be thoughtful about it. Don't rush in too much. I mean, it's, you want to be on trend or whatever, but it, at the same time, you don't want to be impetuous or hasty. And risk too much, and so I, I think the way you're handling it is awesome. You're just being super thoughtful about it, but then thinking like about the bigger thing, which is that yeah, it's almost like a parallel universe and another community way of engaging, a way of building that didn't exist before. But I mean, like this all bumps into the whole metaverse thing. What are your thoughts about that? Because it's like my basic understanding of Web three and metaverse. It's like you tell me if I'm wrong, but it sort of feels like. For me to engage around Web3 and Metaverse, like I got to put on goggles and I don't want to fucking put on goggles, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, what's the deal?
1: I don't think you're wrong in how you're feeling. You know, I mean, for me, what I've talked about NFT stuff is the stuff that I've been able to grasp so far.
0: Yeah. But they
1: are joined at the hip. If you hang out with young people and you go to lunch or dinner with them and you bring up NFTs, it's connected to Metaverse, right? Right. And I get that there's mm-hmm. like a new way of doing things that's going to roll out in the future. But so far, it's foreign to me. And the way it's described to me and shown to me an example of like, this is what a website's going to look like. I'm like, oh, that looks like a video game. And I hate playing video games. <laughs> it's <just> like, I'm <laughs> right, like, right. I don't know what to do yeah. with that, man. You know, It looks yeah, like yeah. when my son was playing Animal Crossing, the way the website is like, I get that, but. I haven't seen it in a way where I could be like, I see where I could fit into that. It just seems yeah, like something yeah, yeah. that kids are playing with right now. But that right. is where things are going. Is metaverse just a new internet where crypto is the currency, right? And then I see people, oh, invest in metaverse real estate. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, Like to be honest. <laughs> like, So I don't want to speak on it too much because I don't want to sound like a hater. Yeah.
0: Right? No, no, but exactly. It is, exactly, it, is very exactly. Diff-
1: it is foreign to me. In my mind, I'm like, one thing at a time. (laughs) Let me get the NFT thing out, and then I'll figure out, okay, what's the next thing Mm -hmm. we're doing? Mm Because like Mm -hmm. I've had a Twitter account since like 2009 and never really used it for anything, just kind of like random posts. And it's not to the last year when I see a purpose for it connected to the NFT. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should start using it, building that. Finally, I have this tool, and I'm like, oh, now I know how I could use that tool. Aside from just right. like talking about celebrities and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, I, I don't have too much on it. I know I have yeah, man. friends who know 3D that I went to school with and, and they're like
0: mm-hmm.
1: 3D developers and stuff. And they're like, whenever you're ready, just let us know, dude, we'd love to work with you. And I'm just like, OK, when I get there.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, and I hear you because I'm the same way. It's like, I don't want to sound like a hater. I don't. I just, you know, I'm trying to be thoughtful and and strategic about my time about my money about my energy and it's like where am I going to put it because at the end of the day your art can't suffer because you're trying to be in the metaverse or whatever like you the product you know still has to be fucking world class and you know and and to that point I mean people will come to you like your buddies right it's like oh dude you know we want to work with you in this space okay cool you know like those opportunities are going to come It's not like you have to be hasty about it. And and by the way, you might as well just like wait till the dust settles and like really see how it plays out. I mean, because me personally, it's like I'm still waiting on my flying car, man. You know what I mean? I mean, I I, I fucking grew up with promised jetpacks and flying cars and the shit still ain't happening. And to the point of the metaverse, like, listen, I love the idea of a fucking holographic world that could pop up in my backyard or in my home that I could interact with and, you know, interact with a three-dimensional hologram that gives me some more of a visceral, tangible kind of a thing. But the idea that anything I got to put goggles on for, I'm not going to do it. Like I just don't want to put wear goggles. It's just a personal thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if that's the only way to view it, then I don't know if I want to be, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I've done the live painting with the Oculus glasses and it was cool. Cool. You know, yeah, it yeah. was cool, like just doing it. But I was like, I don't know if I would want to make an art out of it. Some people have, but I'm just like, I don't. Right. So for me, it's just kind of like I always, always try to remind myself because just in this social media world, it kind of makes you think that you have to do everything, right?
0: And yeah. sometimes
1: yeah. you got to step back and be like, well, I can't do everything. It's not possible. No, no, so exactly. Let exactly. me pick a couple that talk to yeah. me and let me... Like you said, let me spend my time and energy on those. That's what I can do. Like I I can't just like, oh, what's the flavor of the month? Next year? Exactly, man. Chasing rabbits, man. You can't (laughs) you can't chase rabbits. And you know, so a
0: really smart, successful business guy that I know years ago told me. He said, Man, he goes, investors in business anyway, most smart investors are not looking to invest in a company that is a mile wide and an inch deep. Smart investors want to invest in a company that is a inch wide and a mile deep. Yeah. Now, you can sort of think about that it's an interesting way of thinking about it and stuff, but I mean, if you know as that I, that concept relates to you, it's like the Kano brand, the, Kano, the you know, that is is rooted in art, it's art centric, it's all about your mm-hmm. your aesthetic and your vision and that is the thing, you know what I mean? And it's like that can't suffer. That's got to just get better and better and better and then all this other yeah. shit will sort itself out and find its way to you in a meaningful way. Because I think, you know, listen, I'm speaking for myself. One of my bad habits over the years has been just being enthusiastic about too many ideas. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to do that. And, you know, it's like, man, you got to focus, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. Like, for me, it's also kind of like you I have to look at it in a way of like part of building a brand as an artist is you make a list of things, right? And you, you make it's like, all right, I want to be seen as this kind of artist and this is what I want to be. And this is what I don't want to be seen as, Right. So already with the NFT thing, I was like, I want to do NFTs, but I don't want to all of a sudden just be all NFTs and now I'm an NFT guy. Right. So it's like, I want to balance that. So if I could do them both, which I feel like I can, then I'd like to do that. And that's the way I've kind of been picking my jobs for the last couple of years. If it's something that opportunity that comes up and financially, I'm like, wow, I got to do that. But it's not something Mm -hmm. I'm happy about. Then maybe my logo doesn't go on it maybe it's just a work for hire thing and that's how i separate it but usually i have to be like oh, am i going to put my logo on it then yeah that's what i want to do ultimately you know
0: yeah I mean, that's an interesting point man i mean nothing is more valuable than your reputation and you got to protect it at all costs that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. it's like do i want my name on this or not but also as i'm like listening to you talk it's like this idea that the whole nft game I could see that maybe there's room for like a producer-like person that would partner with an artist like you. So it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Kano wants to get into the NFT game. These are his ideas. This is what he's going to do. He's obviously been studying it, researching it. And he's got a good thing going on. Okay, cool. But we're going to produce it for him. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, okay, he's got to make the art. He's got all this other stuff going on. He's building his brand, whatever. But because of the full-time nature of the NFT world, building the community and stuff. I could see that maybe there's going to be this emergence of producers or agents or managers that kind of help you manage your brand in the NFT space. And maybe that's already happening. You know, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's already happening. That's like crypto.com, I guess. They own the stadium now, right? Crypto.com. Oh, Oh, yeah.
0: The the new stadium, right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I have a buddy who just released an NFT program through them, like a generated program. And they mm-hmm. had to pitch it with a roadmap and samples and a whole a team and everything. And they pitched it to them and they put it out. Crypto has a really good track record of selling out all the NFTs that they have put out. So that's a really good thing. So they put it all out. And I think their pay comes off of the first time it's purchased. The first time you sell it, mm-hmm. they take a cut of it. But then... After that, when it's resold, they're not connected to it anymore. That's all Like your team gets paid from that. So, I mean, they're getting paid for their work that they put out, and they're getting paid for the brand recognition that other investors go to Crypto.com to buy things that they have resold. So, Mm -hmm. if this has a crypto stamp on it, then that's what they're doing. There's different places like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. That's good to know. And of, of course, I mean, it would make sense, right? Like, I could see that because you're going to have you're this whole support thing. And of course, it's already happened because, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, when did the first NFT art, quote unquote, launch? Was that 2020 or 2019? Like, when was the first one sold? And who was the first artist? Do we know? I don't know. Was it know. the monkeys, the Mon- apes or some shit? Because I know, like...
1: I think the CryptoPunks were before the apes. I think those okay. are the first ones. But I know that I started hearing about NFTs 2020, but I think it uh-huh. goes way before that. Okay, people were talking about it back then, and then I just remember seeing. I think the first time that I really got it in my head, it wasn't about art NFTs. It was about a sports clip, like Jordan dunking or something. Oh, the NBA just,
0: stuff, right? Yeah, right. I think it was. That NBA. was the first yeah, time. Yeah, I,
1: I was like, wait, they own the clip now? Like that was the first <laughs> time I heard of <laughs> right. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's and that's like a walled garden kind of a thing, right? Because I think you have to be—I I don't know if it, what's the brand—is it Top
1: Shots or something? I just whatever. Yeah, 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 I think that sounds familiar. Yeah,
0: yeah, but they sort of created their own little space, and you got to trade and buy within that kind of walled garden.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's like virtual yeah, yeah. baseball cards, basketball cards. You buy a pack, and then you open it, and you see what's inside. You know, and you right, can have right. something valuable in there.
0: But see, that taps into that collector mentality, which is interesting because, well, the whole collector mentality fascinates the hell out of me because, yeah, sure, I collected baseball cards or whatever when I was a kid growing up. I had friends who really were serious about it, and maybe even they collected coins or stamps and, you know, just different shit like that, right? And maybe they get it from their parents and sort of, you know, who knows, like, how it happens. But there seems to be a certain kind of personality type or a certain kind of person that's way into collecting. And they'll collect, maybe they're just into collecting one kind of thing, or maybe they'll collect whatever, but it's a certain kind of person. It feels like the people that came into the NFT space might be like those kinds of people. So it really wasn't even about the art necessarily or whatever, but it was about, oh, no, no, this is like the new thing to collect, and I'm a collector, and I'm going to get in here, and I'm going to build my little collection.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can see, I mean, there's a convention for literally everything that people can collect. And that means yeah. there's enough of people that are like that to fill these conventions up, right? whether it's a yeah. pin convention or a patch convention or, or a stamp collection, right? So right. that is a mindset that people have with collecting stuff, and I think that in terms of collecting, what's new to us is like collecting something virtual, right? And yes. now these kind of things are connected to like a blockchain, which essentially how in back in the days. If you had an older brother that got married and, and left, he'd leave his baseball cards behind with you. Or or if you had a dad that passed away, he would leave his coin book or whatever. And now I guess the equivalent of that would be like, oh, your wallet gets handed down. And if you have something in there that's valuable, that's on the blockchain from like years ago, then that's kind of like a cool inheritance to have, right?
0: Yeah, right.
1: At least I, I think of it in that way in the future. but. Yeah, but it's so interesting. I know that for me, a couple of years ago, I would say like eight years ago, working in animation, I was working with a new group of younger animators that came in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been working digitally since forever, right? So they were asking me about old shows I worked on. And I was like, well, you know, we did all that on paper and this and that. And I was like, I kind of miss it. I'd love finishing off a season of a show. And then I just have a pile of drawings from like the show that I worked yeah. on. Right. And they were like, right. yeah, I don't really care for that. I was like, what do you mean? Like, one of your favorite films. You wouldn't care to have, like, an animation cell? They're like, no, nah, I don't care about that. I don't really care about any physical. And they're just a different generation. Yeah. For me, yeah. coming up as an animator, I wanted to have a drawing by Glenn Keane from the film that I loved, right? But it's right. just like, for them, it's the movie. They have the movie, and that's all they need. They're not into collecting tangible things at all, which I yeah. think explains why in the vinyl toys, people who collect it are like, grown men
0: <laughs> they're not kids No, <laughs> you know but you hit the nail on the head i mean in terms of being generational because i mean you know i'm gen x and at the end of the day for us i mean the idea of collecting records collecting tape cassettes i mean you know like music collection was a big deal because of course music wasn't digital i mean it was physical yeah. it was analog so you had records you had cassettes and then the cds came out and so you bought all those for there was no sneaker collecting back then either you know what i mean it was like yeah, yeah. you wanted to get your jordans or whatever, but That eventually became a thing, but you were collecting physical items, coins or stamps, or maybe if you were rich, you collected cars or something. But I mean, this idea that you were going to collect something virtual is a very new idea that I think certainly like an old dude like me, it's like, ah, I I mean, I guess I collect photos because I mean, on my fucking iPhone, I have thousands of photos (laughs) that I don't sort through, you know, that's like a virtual thing. I mean, my whole thing too, is just in terms of collecting, it's like, and I mean, if somebody asked me right away, like, are you a collector? Do you collect shit? I'd be like, well, yeah, I guess, you know, I collect art, I have art, but, you know, I would maybe get a little esoteric. It's how oh, I collect experiences. I collect, you know, because I mean, I've done a lot of cool shit. And it's like my whole thing for years and years, certainly when I was a single guy, young guy coming up, it was like, if I was going to spend money, I was going to spend money on travel and experiences. I was not going to spend money on physical merchandise that might get yeah. stolen or lost or, you know, degrade or collect dust or whatever. But over my lifetime, you know, it's interesting. I'm here in my office and I'm surrounded by things I've collected, but they're really just like artifacts of my life. You know what I mean? Like memories yeah, yeah. and memorabilia, things that you know, and like that's very personal to me. You know what I mean? And when I die, I'm sure nobody's going to give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? They'll probably just yeah, yeah. go away. But it's it's meaningful to me. So I don't know, man. I mean, it's just fascinating. And now this idea of collecting virtual items, I don't know. I'm just kind of late to the game. I'm not a hater. I'm just trying to understand it.
1: Yeah. It's kind of helping me understand like stock market and stuff like that a bit, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is a world that was always very foreign to me because that to me seemed like a virtual thing. What do you mean? Like you own what? Like a percentage of what? Uh, A fraction of this? And although I know that is a thing that I grew up with kids whose parents educated them early on stock market stuff and they always did really well financially, right? And I was just kind of like, never understood it. But that is what's happening right now. I feel like people are getting educated in a more interesting, cooler way. Young people mm-hmm. are, are learning how to invest in things. And maybe NFT is a hot thing right now. And maybe NFTs will kind of die down or whatever. But cryptocurrency is not and investing in things is not. So I feel like it's pretty cool that a teenager can look at the world in that way it's going to be less and less teenagers working at mcdonald's as a summer job the whole idea of kids lining up for jordans is so they could sell them on stock x and make a week's paycheck instead of flipping burgers right it's a different world for a young kid it's like oh that's kind of cool it also i always think of it like man when i was a kid growing up where i did if you didn't have a regular job you would have to like sell drugs over here like now you just flip things you sell things legitimately And it's like, well, that's kind of, that's pretty cool, man.
0: It's a revolution, man. It's such an, an empowering revolution. And, you know, when I think about, you know, when I came up, the idea that I would start when I was 16, the notion that I would start a company it was not part of the reality. You know what I mean? Like I came yeah. up at a time, it was like, okay, I knew I was going to go to college and do something and and I would go to work for a company. I wanted to do some cool shit and work for a cool company. But the idea that I would start a company and that you ever become a millionaire or whatever in high school, but now kids can. I mean, that that is yeah. that is truly a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's all new it's, it's, and, and it becomes harder. You know, this is a whole different conversation, but The conversation of like, oh, should you go to college? Is it necessary or not? Yeah, That's a whole different thing now. In order to have that discussion, you have to have like a young person on that panel to kind of like counter, well, these are the pros and cons from my world. You know, it's weird. I used to be part of a lot of those conversations, but now I step out. I'm like, I'm kind of outdated. I can't relate to what that world is like now. You know, the things that made sense when I was coming up in order to have a career are very different now. So it does almost doesn't apply, you know, so.
0: That is a fascinating conversation because knowledge, right? Of course, we're not talking about knowledge, right? We're, we're not talking about the importance of knowledge, right? I don't think, right? Because knowledge, of course, I think any reasonable person would not debate <laughs> the importance and value of knowledge, yeah. but how you get that knowledge, how you acquire that knowledge, how that knowledge is distributed is the conversation, right? It's yeah. like, cause college yeah, yeah. priced itself out of the game. That's the problem. I and mean, no, no kid should graduate with a hundred thousand dollars of debt just to get some knowledge. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's fucked up. It's fucked up. And it's for me, like I don't want the conversation to be about, well, I want to make money. Do I need to go to college and make money? And no, you don't go to my view. You don't go to college to make money. You go to college, to get knowledge, making money is a different conversation. I know a lot of rich idiots, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, or whatever. I mean, just because you make a million bucks or whatever, doesn't mean you're smart. Doesn't mean you have knowledge. It just, it just just says you made money in this thing and God bless you. But that doesn't make you the smartest person or the most knowledgeable person, you know? So how do we keep knowledge relevant and the acquisition of knowledge, how do we keep people hungry for learning, right? Without indebting them in the process.
1: Yeah, I think the reason you, what you just said is the reason why there's so much pull for like any kind of NFT education because it's all free education right now. There's no Mm. one saying, hey, come to my learn how to NFT seminar. No one is pimping it like that. Everyone is very just open with it. And that's yeah. why everyone's just like grabbing a seat. Like, I want to learn. Like, what is this? Because mm-hmm. you learn so much stuff in school sometimes that you don't use in life. And now here's something that I could use right away. Let me learn about it. And I think that's probably why that NFT panel at Designer Con was so full.
0: Yeah, right. And that gets back to the community thing too, right? That's like it's a true community of people that are trying to build this world and trying to build this industry and. Because it's digital first, I mean, obviously it it was sort of naturally appeal to a twenty year old or a fifteen year old or a thirty year old versus a forty five or fifty year old, and of course you know bumps into lots of interesting conversations about intellectual property rights and who owns what and copyright protection, all that. That's a whole nother fucking angle of it that I know a lot of people are kind of debating and scratching their heads. But you know, listen, I'm all for change, man. I'm all for. I mean, well, it's not even about all for change. I mean, change is inevitable. I mean, it's the only constant, but it's our relationship to change. I never want to be one of those assholes that just gets rigid and set in my ways. I always want to grow. But of course, I don't want to lose my head either, right? Like I want to be sensible and thoughtful, whatever. But I mean, from a technology standpoint, I'm all for technology that enhances our humanity and makes us more empathetic, compassionate people. I'm not down with technology that makes human beings irrelevant or assholes you know what i mean and it's like we need technology to improve our civilization improve our culture improve the world and we do have examples of technology obviously doing that and it's you know all kinds of examples this is one of them but then there's the examples of technology really harming people as well and so it's a very interesting thing and you know you talk about mcdonald's it's like hey man kids work at McDonald's, like I'm all for McDonald's to be completely automated, robotic, you know, like let me pull through. <laughs> you hey, know, let me pull through. Yeah, yeah. I don't care, you know. Yeah, right. But as long as my fifteen year old kid is able to earn money somewhere else online or whatever,
1: yeah. you know, it's all good. No, I mean even like I mean somebody pointed this out to me before, but it's like this was like four years ago. It's like even when you go to McDonalds now, like in the nineties, those were teenagers working there. Now they're like people in their twenties or 30s you know older there's no, like yeah. teenagers yeah there's no teenagers that so they're not doing those jobs anymore you know they're like doing their own yeah. their jobs exist virtually online so we're like yeah, you know right and right. i wouldn't be surprised if kids come up to their old man with an actual plan like can i borrow a thousand dollars and here's how i'm gonna make it work for me like i think kids are smart like that now you know they're like this yep. is how i'm gonna work it online and double that money and as a parent, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <Let's see laughs> yeah, you, I want, you work.
0: I want 15%. Of course.
1: <laughs> you know, of course. Well, first when they get, no cut. Let's just see if you know where you're yeah, going. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, right, right.
0: Just don't lose my money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, but, man. But, yeah, that's the world. That's pretty cool sometimes when I think about it that way. I'm just like, oh. I know because I, I know when I was a teenager trying to get a job, I just – was knocking on doors. I was just like, oh, this
0: sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, you know, I, I hail from the Midwest outside Chicago. I was born in Gary, Indiana, and my dad was a steel mill worker and electrician and my, all of his buddies were blue collar guys, you know, whatever. And so I come from a tradition of, you know, real strong work ethic. I mean, those guys worked their asses off all, you know, my fucking dad was a, I mean, he was the hardest working guy I ever met, you know what I mean? And, you know, so that ethos, was baked into me, but it was interesting because of course my dad wanted better for me, you know what I mean? Like, like I yeah, would yeah. beg him, you know, he was electrician and I begged him like, dad, teach me, you know, how to do this, teach me how to do that. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I don't want you to be an electrician like me. I want you to go yeah. to college. I was the first college educated kid in my family. And he's like, I want better for you. And obviously that was Wonderful and you know, I was you know, lucky to have that kind of parent, I guess. But you know, in hindsight, I still wish he had taught me those skills. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because like skills are skills, right? Like, I mean it wouldn't be it'd be kind of cool to know how to like fucking wire up a house or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, you know, but I get it. I mean, he just you know, he didn't want me to get stuck in the steel mills or to get stuck in the Midwest, you know, with whatever. So part of what's interesting is because I know kids these days get a lot of grief about, oh, they want us fame and celebrity and this, that, and the other. And I guess what a lot of people don't appreciate about it, I mean, if you are trying to be that influencer on social media or whatever, I mean, that's a full-time job. I mean, those kids are on it like full-time and you can yeah. debate the relative merits of that or whatever in terms of the grand scheme of things, but work ethic, like that's the thing. Like if the kid's I just don't want my kids to be lazy, right? Like, I just want them to have that fire. You know, I had a fire. Like, I did yeah. want to get out of my little town. You know, I did want to get to Chicago. I did want to, you know, have a different life. And so, you know, where does that fire come from? You know, I think it does come from your parents on a certain level. And maybe sometimes it's an eight. But just as long yeah. as, you know, people are hungry, you know, and they're, they're they're reaching.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think every every parent hopes their kid has something like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just like, yeah.
0: Man, oh man, it's so so funny. My wife and I, we would absolutely argue that we don't spoil our kids. You know what I mean? Like we would honestly say, "Oh, we don't spoil our kids." But we had a funny thing happen, and my wife and I. I mean, obviously, we you know, we've worked hard. I mean, we're in our fifties. We've done a lot over. You know, we've earned whatever success we we have. And so, you know, the kids are just along for the ride. You know what I mean? Like if we go yeah. somewhere, we take them with us. Like we don't think. Really about, oh, was this spoiling them or whatever? And we had this funny thing happen uh, a couple of years ago. We were driving up to Mammoth and it was like late at night or whatever. And it was pitch dark on uh, the 135. And, you know, I'm going like the cruise control set. It was like 75. 75 was dark. The kids were asleep in the back. You know, my wife was asleep next to me. And dude, I'm just driving. And all of a sudden, wham, I just fucking hit a deer. Like, it's just like, it's just a Whoa. big fucking deer standing in the middle of the road, the pitch dark, like all of a sudden, like I'm just driving, everything's cool. And then all of a sudden, everything is not cool. Like the airbags are blowing, going off and the whole thing. Yeah. And it was fucking wild because I mean like one minute, one second, you're fine. The next second you're
1: yeah.
0: fucking going off anyway. So, so we were fine, wow. you know, it was like the whole thing, but the car was fucked and we had to get towed whatever. So the nearest town was this town called Bishop and Bishop is like this small, you know, Western town. I mean, it was an old old gold mining town, you know, back 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Anyway, so we had to go find a hotel. And so the hotel that we went to was a Best Western, you know, it was fairly new hotel, you know, very clean, very yeah. you know, very good. We get a room, my daughter, who was like, I don't know, like six or seven at the time. She's like, "What?" Well, she goes, what's this place? I'm like, what do you mean? It's a hotel. She's like, no, it isn't. I'm like... Okay, you spoiled kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. like this <laughs> totally, is exactly yeah. the kind of hotel I grew up going to. You know what I mean? Like, this is perfectly yeah. legit. Like, just because you got lucky, you know, being with us, you know,
1: <laughs> it's like. No, that's true, man. And, and it's kind of just like, I have the same, you know, yeah, it's. It creeps know, my, in, kids you know? <laughs> have it, they have it good, man, for sure. Like, sometimes I'll just be sitting there watching TV with my son or we'll be at the dinner table done eating and I'll just, he's he always sits next to me and I'll just give him like a quick tap on the chest or like, I'll just punch him on the arm or something just because yeah. I feel like he's got it too good. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? <It's> like, <laughs> and my daughter would be like, who's that for? I'm like, he doesn't have an older brother. I, someone has to rough him up a little bit. You know, I have to play like both cards. It's like you're getting away with not getting pushed around. I can't, I can't,
0: We can't, they can't be soft, man. They can't, we're not trying to raise soft kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm
1: just like, you have to be able to, I don't
0: know. Yeah. The way, the word, you know, we're raising them for a tough world. You know, it is a jungle out there, man. And we, they gotta be ready. (laughs) And I tell you what, Kano, I'm so grateful, man, that you came through and sat down and chopped it up with me for a while, man. I know you are super busy and I want to be respectful of your time. And, and I'm just so grateful for it, brother. Thanks for coming through today.
1: Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Great. 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 Well, i tell
0: you what, don't go anywhere. Hang tight. All right. All right, all right, brother. Thanks for coming. All right. Later. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcasts and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.